0: The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello,
1: and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. This week I'm thinking about all the soups and stews I'm going to make now that it's fall/slash winter. If you have a favorite recipe, drop me a note and share it. I'm always looking for new inspiration. Speaking of inspiration, Dr. Brandon Schuler is a co-founder of the American Water Security Project. Longtime listeners heard from his counterpart Kirk Mante back in season one. Brandon, an old friend of our producer Price Atkinson, is dedicated to advancing solutions and funding for wastewater treatment improvements and seeks to understand and balance the interconnectedness of our natural habitats, our communities, and the symbiotic nature of our planet. Listeners, my conversation with Brandon Schuler is coming up next. listeners. Welcome back to the show. I am in conversation now with our dear friend of the pod, Brandon Schuler. Brandon, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Chelsea. Thanks for having me.
1: So I heard a little rumor that you and our producer, Price Atkinson, swam against each other in college.
2: We did. I was at the College of Charleston, and he was at some other no-name school. (laughs)
1: Well, uh, I love a good college swim story. So, uh, you, I, I won't make you reveal whether or not you beat him or he beat you, but, um, I, swimming is always my favorite Olympic sport. And so anyone that can swim at the collegiate level, I'm really impressed by.
2: Well, thank you very much.
1: So, um, listeners, Brandon is one of the co-founders of the American water security project. If you are a longtime listener, then you heard, um, his, um, co-founding partner on the show early in season one and price has been dying to have you on as well. So, Um, welcome. I'm glad we could make this work. And I just thought for those listeners who are not familiar with what the American Water Security Project is, I thought you could talk about your inspiration and um the work that you do.
2: Absolutely. So American Water Security Project is you know, water in itself, everything goes back to water. I mean, it gives life. We're what 93% water, 86% water. It's the most important element that we have on Earth, and it's also the least thought about. Uh, Although with the drought systems that we're having in the West right now and threats to water, it's becoming a little bit more in our conversation, a daily dialogue about what should we do about water, how should we protect water. The American Water Security Project, now what we do is we have a direct mission to actually protect water through wastewater treatment facilities. So what we're looking for and what we advocate for is actually helping municipalities find money to help upgrade their wastewater facilities to do one of two things. One, clean the water to the point that when it's returned into the atmosphere, uh, through what's called tertiary uh, water treatment. Once it's returned out into the environment, it's, just as safe as step two, where you could just put it into, into water delivery systems and actually drink it, which I know as soon as I say that, you're like, oh, God, gross, pee-pee, poo-poo water. It's really not. If you think about it, all the water that we have and we consume on the planet, at some point in its existence has traveled through another, another animal's urinary digestive system and has been out there and it's just treated. Luckily, with our reason and our intellect, we've gotten to a point that any neighbor, Navy sailor, any astronaut has drank water that has been cleaned to a point that we can have to actually add minerals back into it so it doesn't kill us because uh, the molecular polarity of water is so high. If you drink super clean water, it pulls all the minerals out of your body and it can kill you. So we have a possibility to clean water to its ultimate cleanest ability and give it back and recycle it back either to the environment or to human consumption in a way that's using water, recycling water responsibly, while at the same time helping fight against climate change, which actually lowers the amount of clean water that we have. So that's really kind of the mission that we have at AWSP and what we've been working on since uh, late 2019, I guess.
1: Well, you know, I am not someone that is going to recoil at the idea of of, um, of treating water so that it is again potable. I early in my career was on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, and I did all the core of engineers um, portfolio for my bosses, and um, I've been to plenty of wastewater treatment plants, and you know, we're one of the most. Um, uh, technologically advanced nations in the world. And, you know, obviously there have been a, a lot of stories in the news the last couple of years about um, commun- uh, municipal water systems that have not had clean water. But for the most part, you know, when you come to the U.S., you're going to get clean water. And um, so I think it's so important. And one thing that um, one of our previous guests, um, who also is someone near and dear, I think, to the AWSP heart, Nicole Kirchhoff, was talking about was in this recent um hurricane, hurricane Ian, just how much sewage water was kind of, it was overflowing. It was going back into the natural system. And, you know, she was obviously pretty dismayed with that. So how hard does a storm like Ian make the work that you do?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I don't think it's The answer is hard. I don't think that's the right adjective to use there. Uh, What it is, an all-great tragedy, and Hurricane Ian was definitely a great tragedy. I mean, we have loss of life. We have complete wreck of the infrastructure, the homes, the communities in the area most affected by Hurricane Ian. And then on top of that, uh, we have other issues that just have belayed the tragedy of a often overlooked part of our infrastructure, which is wastewater infrastructure. But from all great tragedy, as we understand, comes great opportunity. And what we see in Florida, Florida is ground one for climate change uh, stressors, right? We have yeah. sea level rise. You can see it. Our water table is basically one or two feet of, under the water in some areas, even worse than that. When it's high tide, you actually have salt water intruding into your streets and into your infrastructure and all that. And in Florida, what we're doing is we're kind of loving Florida to death, right? And a lot of times communities are growing quicker than the municipality can keep up with them. So what developers and new development will do is go in and not saying that these guys are wrong in doing this. I mean, it's the systems that they use. They use septic tanks. Problem we have with septic tanks with rising sea level rise, you know, septic tanks are designed to fail. I mean, they catch your fluid, and then they put it out into the drain field and goes out. But it's so high in nitrogen and phosphorus that leads to harmful algal blooms that confound our waterways, hurt our tourist uh, dollars, and all that fun stuff. But when you have a high tide or you have a rainy, wet event like you do with Hurricane Ian, all of those, if you, if you have a flood, all of these septic tanks fell completely, catastrophically fell because they're underwater. Other issue that we have with that is... Stormwater systems get backed up, and the infiltration and influx of water coming into those uh, actually provide some backup into the system. And then what you'll have as well is just water going into the wastewater treatment plants. They cause them to overflow, to break down, to dump water. The municipalities actually have to dump sewage so they don't blow their system up completely and have sewage backing up into their constituents' bathrooms. So all that water, when it gets out into the environment with no treatment, you know, just recently uh, on Wink News, there's a story about a gentleman that was out in uh, Charlotte Harbor where bacteria levels were over and never exceed bubbles. Gentleman contracted vibrio, which is naturally occurring, but is being fed by the waste that's been spilled. Gentleman passed away. And these are issues that, unfortunate, but what we have with Hurricane Ian is to make sure that we're getting some of these older homes back from you know from septic tanks on decentralized sewage. But the opportunity arises that where most wastewater treatment facilities in Florida only treat wastewater to a secondary level that still has high nutrient loads, we can actually use this opportunity to build back with wastewater treatment plants that are tertiary treatment plants that actually take the nitrogen and phosphorus out and come very close to making that step and moving that water to a potable reuse that's either fit for human consumption or be used without nitrogen and phosphorus loads that don't hurt the environment downstream.
1: So are you, you work hand in hand with the wastewater treatment plants or do you work with the, um, local and state governments, like kind of where's your entry point here?
2: Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's really with both. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I hate when people use the three the three legged stool analogy, but I mean, it really is one of our big things is wastewater is not sexy. Right. And the first thing that we have to do and really kind of what led me to this was education advocacy that lets constituents and just everyday Americans and Floridians know this is what a wastewater treatment facility is. Because a lot of times, average human creates 25 gallons of waste a day, but once they flush it and wave goodbye, that's the last they think of it. And that's where the treatment process really begins, is once you flush it, get it out of your sight. So what we started with was kind of an advocacy level because – You know, In Florida here with harmful algal blooms and red tide, we had a lot of finger pointing and a lot of finger waving saying, it's this guy's fault. It's this group's fault. It's that group's fault. Where at the end of the day, the greatest contributor that most studies show is that human wastewater and septic tanks are what is causing our huge red tides and harmful algal blooms. So we wanted to educate the public on that. And then as we've done that, We've also worked with local and state governments and the state government to actually start to find policies that help encourage uh, municipalities to move toward tertiary wastewater treatment. And then as we've done that and built that policy, now what we're doing is kind of the third leg of our strategy where we actually have outreach with local governments and standalone uh, publicly-owned treatment facilities that we actually help them find money at the federal and state level to upgrade their wastewater treatment facilities.
1: And is your work um, um, confined to Florida or do you have national chapters or national? We do not have
2: national chapters, but we do do some, do do, sorry about that. We do have some work that we do in Georgia and that we do in Texas that we are expanding into those areas.
1: That's awesome. Also, states that are populous and um, well, Georgia probably doesn't face storms the same way that Florida does, but we definitely know that Texas does and you kind know, of all those Gulf states, um, you know, face those hurricane challenges plus lots of development on the coast. I mean, people want to live on the coast, right? And so I think that puts an extra stressor on these systems.
2: Oh, oh, it absolutely does. I mean, and then what you have in Texas, I mean, you look after like Hurricane Rita, and Hurricane Harvey, uh, you've basically built the ball in a floodplain where the water has nowhere to go. And as climate change leads to these greater wetter water events, you know, most infrastructure was built in the fifties to seventies when there were, you know, a couple million less people, climate change hadn't really started to hadn't really started affecting it in the ways that we're seeing it now and more exponentially seeing it now in mm-hmm. the wet weather events that arise from that and sea level rise weren't occurring. And now Houston, unfortunately, is bearing a large brunt of, although it's 50 miles inland, it still sees the effects of coastal sea level issues.
1: For sure. If there was one thing, Brandon, that you wanted listeners to take away from um, the connection between um, climate impacts like sea level rise and um, accessibility to potable drinking water and just clean clean water in our house, whether we're drinking it or not, um, what would that message be? Think about your
2: treatment facility and helpful water reuse and recycling, because the, the stressors that we have on that, when we're not even talking about putting human waste into the system, you know, the human waste that we produce, but as you add heat into the environment and you add salt you know, if you, as you add heat from climate change stressors, you give these organisms like harmful algal blooms and red tide and those organisms a part of the chemical equation that allows more energy to enter into the system, and create more foods and macronutrients for them to eat, and that becomes a problem. So we've really got to figure out ways that, you know, it's gonna be near it's it's gonna be a hard challenge for us. To lower temperatures, but then the second takeaway, really, that this goes along with this, that although we have more heat that is contributing to harmful algal blooms and bigger bad events like that, we also have saltwater intrusion. And as we're taking water out of our aquifers to drink our water, sea level rise is actually pushing a lot of saltwater into those systems. It's lowering our capability to access clean, drinkable, natural water. So we've got to find out in that matrix of how are we making sure that we're properly recycling while at the same time protecting what we have and trying to lessen the stressors that make our water access a lot harder, our drinking water
1: access a lot harder. I mean, basically I think we could take what you just said and apply it to all levels of conservation and um, environmental protection. And so you know, water is life. You know that, I know that. And um, I think our listeners get that too. And I appreciate all the work that you do in a challenging state like Florida, which as you mentioned is, you know, ground zero for climate change. And, um, you know, we wish you continued luck and a quiet remainder of of hurricane season for sure.
2: Chelsea, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: We're energy optimists and climate realists stand with us at republicen.org now back to this week's episode
3: it was such a joy to chat with your buddy dr brandon schuler he is fantastic
0: yeah dr schuler is a awesome guy helpful to us here at republican.org and uh, doing really good work. I think it was uh, awesome to have him on. You know, I know we've had you know some folks talking about water quality issues before, but you know something that stuck with me, you know, during the interview with Brandon, and then you know the you know many others that we've had who've either you know worked in this field or touched on it during a guest interview. But it just you know water quality is just something that we take for granted, honestly, in many ways until there's an issue with it. And you know, we just take it for granted that we, especially where I live in the Upstate of South Carolina, where we have just some of the best water. Uh, it, frankly, in, in the world um, here with our you know filtration and the water that comes from the mountains. it's, it's just one of those things that you just. We take for granted, but I know many, many others do. Um, until you have a situation, depending on you know whether it's a hurricane, tropical storm, or, or something that might happen at the local level, God forbid. So, uh, yeah, it was it was awesome to have uh, Doctor Schuler back with us for I guess I guess it was not even back with us first time.
3: Yeah, first time you would wanted to have him on season one, and you know it took us five seasons to get him, but we got him. It was worth the wait.
0: Yeah, it was worth the wait. Continuing a string of, uh, Florida related guests. And it's a place that we, we do a lot of work. And if you're interested in, in having co-hosting, uh, any kind of event, especially if you're a listener in the state of Florida and you have, uh, ties to, uh, conservative ties, uh, to the community. We would love to talk with you. Um, Florida is obviously ground zero for climate change, and it's also a place that uh, is, in a lot of ways, ground zero for our work at Republican.org. So please drop me a line if that's something that you might be interested. Speaking of Florida, a uh, couple new members uh, would like to shout out this week, and starting in the Sunshine State, Ankit M. Uh, from the state of Florida, Paul H. in Kansas, Asha K. in Washington State, Chris W. in Nevada, and then Rose R. in the state of Pennsylvania. Appreciate those five for standing with us, signing up, which you can do so online uh, to sign up and stand with us at Republican.org forward slash joint. takes all of seconds, does not take much of your time. Power in numbers, people. We need you. That's
3: right. And speaking of power in numbers, the number 100 is coming up upon us the 100th episode our 100th episode it's like our 100th baby it's unbelievable to me we thought we might do five of these or ten but here we are inching to the 100th episode which will be in your um ears listeners on election day actually on tuesday november 8th um we are going to actually do a best of five seasons so you'll get some Clips from um, all of the greatest. I'm a little hesitant to go back and listen to what I sound like season <laughs> one. Price. Right? I will do it for the good of the pod. Um, the thing that we are asking you, asking of you listeners, is that if you have a favorite episode, you have some story you want to share with us, please. Um, And some of you already have. My inbox already has messages from some of you. I appreciate it. Drop us a line. Send us a voice memo. Um, If you don't like the sound of your voice, hey, you know what? Eventually you get over it. I'll tell you that. But also, um, we'll read it. Just send us a a message, and we will read it if you are hesitant about having your own voice on the radio. But you could do a short voice memo, too, and attach it as a file to an email. You can email me at chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at republicen.org. And um, we will incorporate those messages into that 100th episode. So it's a way that you
0: I could not have said it any better. What was your favorite episode? Why? Why do you listen to the Eco? Favorite? Are you asking
3: me? No, I'm. (laughs) I'm merely giving
0: out uh, for our listeners (laughs) ideas to send a voice memo or you yeah. know, email that we read, but uh, any kind of feedback, um, you know, especially specific to any episode uh, that you've got that we definitely want to hear from you, send it to Chelsea at Chelsea at org because we want to feature you because you are the ones, our listeners that invest the time every single week to listen is uh, it's kept us going to almost 100 episodes now. And so that's why we want to feature you is because, uh, our listeners are the ones that have uh, kept us going since we birthed, birthed the eco right speaks during uh, the co early in the COVID pandemic. So yes, get your messages, video or voice clips, whatever it is that you want to send us. Cause we want to feature you. Chelsea?
3: I mean, who would have guessed that a lockdown project would still be going strong more than two years later.
0: Absolutely. It is going strong. Um, we're going to go strong again next week and certainly we'll continue the strength of this podcast through our hundredth episode until the end of the year. And then we will return for season six early next, but what do we have on the docket next week?
3: Next week we will hear from author Todd Myers. Um, He has written a book um, about climate change. And so, you know, me as a writer and, um, know, fellow soon to be author. Well, it won't be quite soon for me. My book won't be out until August, 2024, but I'm always eager to have an author on the show and um, spread the love a little bit. So tune in next week to hear from Todd. Um, we'll link uh, his book in the show notes so that you can um, pre-purchase if you want. I don't actually think it's out yet. I know I haven't read it. And mm-hmm. um, so anyway, tune in, um, you know, you know, it'll be a good show. We, oh, I always try to have a good and riveting conversation regardless of who the
0: guest is. Absolutely. We're excited for that interview next week. Excited as we get ready and approach that 100th episode in early November. But until we talk to you next week, hope everybody has a wonderful and happy Halloween out there. November is almost yeah,
3: here. Hi. Are you dressing up?
0: Uh, I'm dressing up. I am most certainly going to go trick or treating with my little ones. So it's something a holiday that I look forward to. It was my, it was my mom's birthday, and it's something that we um, we we enjoy, you know, as a family. So still trying to get my son on board, but I, I'm going to be uh, a kid in a candy store out there on Halloween, enjoying the day as, uh, if it does not pour. Because right now it looks like we're going to get rain for the first time in a while.
3: Um, no, Are you dressing well, up? Uh, I, I you know me, okay, just true confessions moment if we have a moment for this. I'm a very creative person, right? I, I write fiction, I write nonfiction, I um, garden, I even dabbled at watercolor painting during the lockdown. I quake in fear when it comes to having to dress in costume. It's like my creativity dries up and I panic and I think what am I going to be? What am I going to do? And it is because I'm surrounded by creative people who make their own costumes, price, That is pressure. I can't be the person that buys their costume on Amazon when I'm surrounded by people who hand make these amazing things. So I just usually opt to not dress up. It's easier than, oh, that's what you're wearing. Um, but we'll see. You know, you never know when you might get a little creative spark. So I don't want to say I'm not going to dress up, but also my kids are gone. So I um, will be mostly just dishing out candy to those who drop by my house.
0: Well, I'm not going to spoil it and tell you what I'm going to be right now. I'll send you a photo and reveal it next week on the Right Speaks, Chels. But until then, have a happy Halloween. I hope you enjoy it. hope everybody has a wonderful holiday, and we will talk to you next week.
3: Talk to you later.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.